Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast alongside Mike Nizolik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We are back after an open date for both of us. We tried to get together. We were unable to make it work. So we still haven't talked about Furman. We won't spend a ton of time on Furman. We'll talk mostly about Duke and of the things we've learned over the past week. Um, but, Mike, I think we should start with Furman. I watched the video that you and Berman put together after that game. Uh, Berman appears to want to cancel the rest of the Virginia Tech season. They, they have refused to they do so. They did not do that during the bye week, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, just your main takeaways from the Furman uh, near disaster. Uh, you know, look, they didn't play well. They got started. They looked better in the second half. Uh, King stays healthy in that second half. I'm not sure how much how close it would have even been. Uh, he looked like on track to, to really open things up. As it was, he got them uh, back in it and, and on top. Um, he obviously finished uh, uh, one twenty four seventeen. Um, just offensively in the first half, couldn't get going. Uh, it just continues to be the issue that they just aren't consistent offensively, and I think a lack of a run game has been at the times when they've struggled has been kind of a central cause of that. I think the offensive line, a young offensive line, um, hasn't been able to kind of develop chemistry yet um, and has struggled a little bit. Um, and then obviously uh, turnovers. Um, so I think right there you kind of uh, see all the problems. I, I think that's all the problems they have kind of as a team right now, those three things um, are the issues. Because I think the defense um, uh, has played pretty well throughout, I mean, outside of that first quarter, two quarters against Boston College. Well, I have to say, I have a pretty thick head, and it took a while for to get through my head that this is going to be a really, really, really difficult season for Virginia Tech, but I think that Furman result did it for me. Um, I, you know, I, I was critical of them, of course, after the ODU game, but they did have a 24-3 lead at one point in that game, um, and I'm willing to give you a one-off. You know, it's like Virginia. Virginia just went up and played pretty poorly against Old Dominion themselves, but I'm, I'm willing to give you a break if you show up to, to play this week against Notre Dame in their case. And I was willing to give them a break if they went in out there and pounded Furman. Didn't pound Furman. And I know you had said that you thought Furman would cover the number, whatever it was, 23 or something like that. And you were right. Um, I guess, can you rate your surprise level on the result uh, on a scale of like 1 to 10? You know, 10 being I'm just totally shocked. Six maybe okay. just because the offense hasn't been going so i mean you, you know how do you string points together uh, uh string drives together kind of consecutively they haven't been able to do that uh at all this this season so i mean and not not a total shock um and you know Furman's a, a good fcs team and, and that's not an excuse but just saying it's like they they aren't like a team that wasn't supposed to do you know they have some talent on the roster and and, and um i just didn't expect you know, Virginia Tech hasn't been able to kind of impose their will on anybody in the last two years. And so um, it's hard to kind of imagine them um, stomping anybody. And I think everything's going to be hard fought. I mean, I, I envision them having some success um, against some of these average ACC teams because I think kind of they're in that bunch right now. But um, they're not going to blow out Duke or blow out North Carolina. But that doesn't mean I think they can't escape those games with wins, uh, especially at home. Sure. Well, one of the bright spots of the Furman game was my guy Keyshawn King who I've nicknamed Pocket Kings I asked him today at the press conference we're recording this on Monday I asked him if he he uh, liked that and he said well, wouldn't, he it, wouldn't it be better to do Keyshawn when you talk about him Keyshawn Pocket Kings instead of referring to him as Pocket Kings uh, yeah just in quotes like you do with a yeah. you know like a representative from yeah, Georgia or, just pocket or something for like sure. that yeah. Johnny's because his, his son his nickname is Key which is not uh, I not, don't like that nickname. If, he's, him a new if he one. ends up being spectacular, that does not live up to sort of a, you know, if you're a great player, you don't you you need a great nickname. Yeah, doesn't doesn't work. Key um, need, needs. I don't know if Pocket Kings is the answer, but Key is certainly not the answer. Well, if you if you play poker online, you know, you, you, a shorthand when someone asks what your hand and is, you ask the hard hitting questions, he is not into poker. You would play. You would you would write KK. That's my you know. And so he is his his initials are KK. Uh, Pocket Kings is obviously the second best hand in all of poker. It's a very very strong 
and uh, you're going to play it very, very strong every time you've got it. And Fuente played him strong. Uh, they used him a lot. Uh, he ran for what 150 yards. Something uh, like it was like 100. Uh, it was uh, 113 or something. Like that. I can pull. Was that, that all up. it was? I thought yeah. it was more. See, he got okay. Hurt. I mean, he got hurt. He was on his well, well on his way to probably like 150. Okay, 12 carries, 119. I got yeah, it here. Yeah. Um, all right. And so he got hurt. Uh, he had six touches on that one drive, the scoring drive, where he had that 54-yard run, and he, he got hurt at the end of that. Came back in for a couple snaps, then called out. And they didn't put him back in because the game looked, you know, they, they they took the lead and everything. Said he could have probably come back in if it was a, you know, that needed him. But um, the interesting thing, I looked this up the other night. That was only the fifth 50-yard run in Fuente's tenure by a running back. That's not shocking to me. But, I mean, that's just, that's that's a low number. It is a low number. And uh, it looks like, you know, you did get lathered up on that one drive. You said they needed to get lathered up. You did get lathered up. Some latherings, and, and there there it was. Um, yeah, is it safe to assume? I mean, I'm looking at the depth chart here. It says Deshaun McLeese or Keyshawn King. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to assume King has wrestled that job away from Deshaun McLeese? Probably not, just because you don't know uh, blocking scheme-wise, pass, passing game. How much he's have they installed? So I think you're still going to see a decent amount of McLeese. I just think you're going to see more carries for King. You know, I I just think, you know, is he going to be right 25 carries a game? Probably not. But you're going to see him more. I think a more steady diet, especially if he you know doesn't have to come out. Um, but McLeese will be a part of the offense just because you know you're you're still dealing with a true freshman, and we're only four weeks into the season. There's only so much yeah. they can know, and he wasn't a guy that uh, uh, enrolled early either. Right. So I mean, he's you know only a couple months into his career, so it'd be tough to put it all on him just yet. Right, and nor nor am I saying they should send McLeese to the glue factory. I mean, he's still got a role on his team, and, and but in terms of what we're looking for from a, a production standpoint, running back, running the ball. He's think, always been the guy where you thought right. had the most upside, and you know you see kind of when your offensive line's struggling too, a guy that can get to the hole faster or, or make some moves and has that explosiveness is always going to help. You know, when, you're, when McLeese – might be, uh, uh, you know, once this offensive line gets going, I think McLeese will be a better running back. I, I just right. think that right now when you're kind of everything's kind of average, uh, you know, the, the running back with that explosiveness is always going to be your better bet. Well, and this carries us into our next topic, which is Jerry Kill. You know, one of the reasons he was brought in here was to take a look at this running game and see what he could find. I mean, Kill, for those who don't know, uh, he was a head coach at multiple places, including Minnesota, um, had some health issues that forced him off the sidelines, uh, got into administration, and now he's back as, what's his official title? Do you know? Special uh, assistant to the head coach. Okay. Which is, you know. Rolls right off the top. Yeah, it's not, it's not a you know, a hands-on necessarily coaching role, but it's more of an advisory position. And we asked him today, what are you actually doing here? You know, what what can you do? And he's like, basically whatever they tell me to do, whatever Fuente wants. And it sounds like more than anything, what he's going to be is a sounding board. And, hey, what's missing here? You know, give me an extra set of eyes on this and be honest with me. And it sounds like Kill is more than willing to, to fulfill that role. He seems like a pretty blunt guy. Yeah, and, um, you know, Fuente's kind of given him a, a pretty open remit of just, you know, look at anything and everything. And he talked about even looking at film of uh, recruits, you know, kind of scouting uh, potential recruits, kind of look what, what he sees from them, which I found interesting because that's, you know, not, not something fans want to hear right now, but that's that's more open-ended. And, uh, you know, we reported he has a two-year deal, so, um, you know, they expect him to kind of stick around after the season. Um he, he was announced on Monday uh, of the bye week. was kind of surprised. Some things to note, and I think fans have kind of taken off with some conspiracy theories. He's not going to replace Bud Foster. No, he can't be. Um, he's not going to be a defensive guy. He's not working really with the defense right now. Um, you know, they said running game, and he talked today about the offensive line. It's obviously he's more spending much more time in the offensive meeting rooms just even in the week he's been on campus. It doesn't sound like he's all that interested in getting back on a, as any kind of assistant position. It sounds like maybe he has doctor's orders not yeah, to Yeah, and, and I don't think that he's uh, medically cleared at this point to do that. And he talked about, you know, not even – he talked about it in terms of head coaching not wanting the stretch. But it's not like, you know, any coaching job right now is sort of beyond where he's capable of to kind of handle. Um, you know, he had uh, seizures on the job multiple times, was hit on the sideline at Rutgers, and that caused some complications. Um, so this will be less stressful and still be able to kind of fill that itch of football. Um, and then the other conspiracy was the timing of it. I just think it came down to kind of him – he had to commit 
and leave a job where he could have had forever right. uh, and a, a very comfortable spot where he coached. He's in the Hall of Fame at Southern Illinois. And uh, I don't think this was Witt saying, Justin, you need help, or Justin saying, like, oh, my God, we're at my, my um, you know, wit's end with this team, no pun intended, and, um, you know, trying to find help. I just think it was that, you know, he wants a guy that, like you said, he could be a sounding board, but at the same time, you know, he brought him in during fall camp, and then they just kind of worked things through the last couple of weeks, and finally it happened. I don't expect anything drastic. You know, fans hoping for him to, you know, reinstall, uh, you know, a new offense or reinvent the wheel. You know, that's not going to happen. But I think you're going to, you know, he's a guy that can bring fresh eyes to it, has 30 years of experience, and that's not a bad thing to have in the room. Well, Norm, Norm Wood and Andy Bitter and I, you had, you had actually uh, left, grab a bite to eat and head to your house where we're now taping the podcast. But we were having a little discussion after the press conference today, and Andy was like, hey, do you think he has, you know, Fuente has a guy on this staff who's just willing to, you know, come up to him and not and, and just be in his face about something like this. Maybe that's what this is because, you know, we talked to the assistants. We enjoy talking to the Vance Vices and the Bud Fosters and the Charlie Wileses, but they all seem to kind of have their heads down and they're doing their, their jobs and they're doing their work with their position groups. Uh, maybe, maybe we went into this thinking Bud would be that guy, you know, that, that would just be blunt. And But I, I think he kind of knows his place too and he – and so maybe when you bring in somebody you've known for many, many years, you know, they had Galen Scott on, on the staff. It was a ex roommate of Justin Fuente. He had to resign under pressure because of some off the field stuff. So it was maybe that left a void where you didn't have this person. And nobody on the staff has been head coach and uh, all the offensive guys have been kind of under him throughout the years mm-hmm. at various times. So, you know, I, I think they're able to speak, speak freely, but how outside of the box do they think? I mean, they're all kind of in lockstep, and sometimes you kind of need a differing point of view. And so you look to the outside. And I don't think, you know, you know, Fuente gets a lot of um, – <laughs> fans are frustrated with him uh, right now. Uh, but one thing, I don't think you could be frustrated about him. He, I think he's a straight shooter and takes criticism and listens. And he seems like a guy that's not going to um, – silence kill if kill has a criticism or, I, or, or not accept it okay i agree with most of that w- what i would say is there's been some stubbornness with this whole how you're using the running game i think that's i think and i've written so as well much. but let me say this kill said something that was very encouraging to me today or not not it was encouraging to me he didn't say it to me but it was encouraging to me that he said he believes in running the football, playing great defense, taking care of the ball, and playing good special teams. It sounded very Frank Beamer-like, but but he went beyond that to say, I think when you run the football effectively, it adds a physicality element to your football team. And and I, when I look at this Tech football team right now, particularly on offense, I don't see a physical and, – and part of that is the offensive line needing to uh, grow up and needing to solidify itself, but – uh, just the fact that that's a stated goal of yours, I have not heard that out of Fuente, that we need a physical running attack. Uh, he's like, he's always said, I don't care who gets the yards and how they get them. Yeah, but part of that, and one thing that he does more so than almost any coach I've ever seen is protect his players. Uh, and so um, some of it, we don't know. Uh, privately, behind the scenes, they might think that we need a top back but we don't have one on the roster and he's not going to share that, you know? So instead you couch it in terms of we're going to spread the ball around. We want all the guys involved and you want all the guys involved because you want them mentally there. You don't want to just say, you know, especially with a competitive room, you're writing three guys off and just going to focus on one guy, especially with the transfer portal. So I don't know how much of that is sort of posturing that you have to necessarily as a coach, you have to do publicly. Uh, But I think if coach kill says, you know, my example would be that if he says you need to just focus on one guy and he needs to get 75% of carries, um, I think that'd be a consideration. I think he'll adjust. They'll adjust accordingly. You know, you don't bring somebody on to give you advice and then just ignore it completely. Well, you asked Fuente today about Ryan Willis and protecting himself and how much more does he need to focus on taking care of his body. And he said a lot <laughs> or lots is what his actual quote was. And, and he, he's not been shy about criticizing, criticizing Ryan Willis. 
Um, and I think quarterback may be a little different because of his yeah. experience with quarterbacks and the fact that he – I think he has utmost confidence that he knows how to train quarterbacks. You know and it's mean? the public face of your program, and right. it, with the biggest responsibility comes the biggest sort of, uh, you know, target and right. things like that. And I just I, – I don't think we've seen any anything close to that with this running game in terms of here's exactly what we want out of this position – and here's who, who who's going to provide it. Whoever does is going to be our guy. Maybe maybe they're going to start moving a little bit more towards that. And I think that would be a good move for them if they do. Well, you're already hurting in depth, and you know now with Jalen Holston out, and you know McLeese had entered the portal at one point. So I I just think you have to be more careful at some positions than others. You know with how you kind of frame. You know who's getting the the bulk of the work, um, but like I said, I don't think there's any question that Keyshawn King is sort of the guy that's gonna. I mean, if you're gonna have a good season th- from here on out, I think he's gonna have to be a, your most productive rusher and sort of carry touch the ball the most. That outside of you know some of the guys in the passing game, you know, I still think you want Trey Turner touching it just as many times if you can get him involved. Um, uh, but so kind of switching gears, you know, you kind of talked about what you want to see out of the bye week with the physical run game and the offensive line anything else you're kind of looking for kind of as we look at kind of these three games what you want to see friday night at lane stadium under the lights well this is a little more nebulous than that but i, I was asking some of the guys i was asking coach fuente and and foster and also ryan today willis uh, just did they watch some football over the weekend and, and as a casual observer of the game what did you see and both of the coaches said, look, I, you know, there, there was some perspective gained, I think, from watching it and seeing some of these less, quote unquote, lesser teams rise up and win games like UCLA winning uh, against Mike Leach's squad, you know, in, in crazy fashion and sort of the, the volatile nature of, of football. And Willis said, hey, I watched and I and I felt better about myself. I saw other people making mistakes and I realized that, you know, everyone out there is human. And I, I think. We need to remind ourselves that they can get better. Uh, It's not uh, set in stone that the the way you are in week two and week three is how you're going to be in week eight. A lot of it is health. A lot of it is – And when you look at these scores, I mean, look, Miami struggled with Central Michigan. That was a home game. Uh, App State. Well, that's because Pimpleton's on. That's right. I I haven't looked at how he did, but I'm sure he did did a great game. Um, But uh, App State just beat North Carolina. Uh, that was only a two-point line. That's and, crazy. And North Carolina looked like world beaters their first two weeks, and now they're two, lost two in a row, and uh, and and have the nice task of facing Clemson. So um, that'll be fun for them. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's lost to Citadel. They did lose to the FCS team the same week that um, Furman came in here. Um, Pitt, you know, uh, upsets UCF. That's a huge win for them. But I mean, they don't look like otherwise. I mean, they they kind of struggled. So. Uh, you know, lost to Virginia in the opening week of the season. You didn't think that team was going to upset UCF. Um, I just think there's parity right now outside of Clemson in the ACC. You know, Virginia looked like they were separating themselves a little bit, um, but that ODU game didn't exactly instill confidence. Um, so, you know, you just got to – like, you know, the, the cliche message in a bye week is improve, but really – I mean, if this is a young team that can just steadily get better every week, and it's not like last year where you were kind of dipped in the middle of the season, um, y- you can be a factor in this co- in the coastal. I think you can, but you have to look a lot better than they have, and that's. that's but you have to win. I mean, but yeah, ultimately, yeah. you win games. It doesn't matter how it ultimately looks. Uh, I mean, it, I don't think that anything's going to look pretty. I guess is my point. Right. You know, it's like I don't know right. w- w- if this team wins five games here in the next two months. You know, is win uh, through October. Any of those going to be double digits? I don't think so. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, I mean, Rhode Island like maybe, but, I mean, you know, uh, North Carolina, Miami, Duke. I mean, those are all going to be, I think, close games. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, going down to Miami, that's an interesting – and they just announced the game time for that. That's a 3.30 game as opposed to a night game, so that will help Tech a little, I would think, because uh, that place can get pretty rowdy at night and, and tough place to play. Um, I, yeah, I – I'm not willing to bury this team yet. I'm not willing to bury, you know, I think Berman, when he did the video, he's like, hey, don't even play. He had, bur- he had buried them and, and, and left. And, and, and <laughs> But, yeah, but, I mean, it, it, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Like, you, you, yes, they, they don't look good. Yes, this is not what we're used to around here. Because uh, even in the years that Frank struggled, it didn't look quite like this. You still took 
you you took those teams that were FCS teams and old Dominions and you booted them back to where they came from. But that's not happening now. So, I mean, at least we know. I mean, at least we're not going to be surprised, but I don't think anything. I mean, if Duke comes in here and wins by 20, I don't, I'm not going to be stunned. Um, that, that getting stunned is, is over with for me. I don't know about you. I wouldn't be stunned, but I'd be surprised just because I don't think Duke is very, I mean, you know, Justin Fonte really, I, I, I don't know, the, <laughs> tracing the love affair between Justin Fonte and Bud Foster and uh, Coach Cutcliffe from Duke. Yeah. It's just the, the, so much praise between the three coaches. Yeah. Um, uh, and they very, and I understand their respect there, but you know, Duke's okay. I mean, they, they've got very few playmakers. They got Quentin Harris at quarterback. He's probably their you know, best offensive player, but not much around him. Uh, defensively, they're okay. I mean, you know, you shouldn't lose the 20 points to that team at home. Uh, so I think that still would be surprising. Well, um, uh, Duke played Middle Tennessee last week, right? Or two weeks ago? Yeah, they're coming off ago. a bye as well. Yeah. And uh, the the numbers for Harris three three forty total yards, five touchdowns. Uh, I think it was well, yeah. If you're including the rushing, yeah, yeah. it was more than a hundred yards rushing, and also. Um, the completion percentage was through the roof. It was like 25 for 27. I mean, it was ridiculously good. Um, of course, the competition is better in Blacksburg than you would assume than Middle Tennessee. But, uh, you know, Harris, I spent a little time with him in Charlotte because uh, I was doing the Duke thing for us. Um, and uh, Cutcliffe loves him. I mean, Cutcliffe absolutely loves Harris, uh, says one of the smartest guys he's ever been around, ever. And you, you talk to the guy, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I can see us. You know, and he's real level head. And he's sort of a, one of those guys, you know, those people that enter the transfer portal and want to get out of here because they don't feel like they're gonna, getting a chance. Well, here's a guy who sat behind a first-round draft pick, and now here he is um, getting his shot. And so far, he's you know, they didn't play well against Alabama or they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't have a good score against Alabama. But – He's been good. Um, and whenever you have a quarterback playing well, just ask Virginia, I mean, from last year, uh, that, that gives you a shot. But I don't think he's Bryce Perkins' level. No, of I don't talent. either. Um, so, I mean, there is some some difference. Um, what else I'm looking for, you know, it, we're, we're going to be talking about kind of the player we're looking to step up. Um, I don't think this play for me, out of the bye week, Ryan Willis needs to step up. I don't think he needs to step up most because he's he's he should be better. <laughs> he shouldn't have to step up. He should just be better. Uh, and this is the first three games. You know, one of the worst stretches of his career, uh, going back to that uh, kind of the ending at Kansas. Um, uh, just kind of disasters all over the place with the turnovers. Almost got himself hurt twice on needlessly, you know, making silly errors where he should have slid. You know, uh, the one fumble where people thought he got tackled on his head and was a penalty. Right. Shouldn't have even been involved in the play. Should have been sliding five yards earlier. Didn't need those extra yards. Yeah, it was ODU. Does the same thing against Furman. Um, says he's healthy and everything's good to go. Uh, I know some people uh, on message boards were kind of concerned about his status. He said he's in. I don't think they would have made him available if he wasn't going to start. Um, but and you know you, you mentioned Coach Fuente saying he needs to be way more uh, careful and just recognizing the situation he's in. Five years into your career, you should be recognizing these things quicker. And it's the same thing with the interceptions. He just needs to make better decisions. I know he said you know it was an overthrow. You missed the uh, against Furman. He, he um, threw up interception and just missed Grimsley. But it was an open play, and those mistakes seem to be happening more often than not. You know he chalked it up that the physical errors are going to happen, but it just seems like it's all compounded and, and out of the bye week I just want this passing game um, you know that I really thought was going to be one of the best in the ACC uh, to look something like I envisioned because it hasn't really taken off uh, at all did you guys ask Fuente afterwards how close he was to putting a hooker in the game yeah yeah it was multiple questions about changes in the second half uh-huh. uh, and said he didn't you know, I mean he said what would I going to change take Trey out of the game after he fumbled um, but I didn't think that and then they did make a change with Silas Janzi. He had two false start penalties and got overmatched on a sack, and he he got he got taken out. Um, but that was the only change, and they didn't made that before halftime. But he said he didn't. It wasn't even a consideration really. And Ryan, I asked Ryan, did he think after he threw that mm-hmm. was when he when he went to that he said not no, right. I not not even a you know not even a thought. Well, I, I still don't have the ACC network, and I was going to uh, Virginia that night, so I. Uh, was following basically on Twitter from what you guys as writers were writing and, and the, the tech people that I follow. Um, you know, and it was obviously sort of a, 
a very angry place among the fan base there. Um, got, got very dark. <laughs> and uh, I mean, Berman was having a lot of fun early in the first half with his uh, he had some good tweets, uh, his FCS tweets. But um, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you mine then. It's the running game. I mean, I want to see Pocket Kings go off. Uh, Keyshawn Pocket Kings. I want to see him because uh, I, I wasn't there for his breakout, and I'm I'm sad about it. Um, and I and I just want to. That's I mean I think uh, again, and this is, is going to sound like a broken record from the pre- previous two weeks, but everything gets better when that happens. Everything gets better when you can do that. There's pressure taken off of Willis. There's pressure taken off of the defense. The defense gets to rest a little bit more. Uh, and that's why what Jerry Kill's words were today were so um, encouraging to me, just because it sounds like at least somebody's saying that in Fuente's ear, that this is something they really, really need. And I, look, I'm not saying Fuente never said doesn't want running effective running game. Of course he wants an effective running game. I'm not a better strategist than him. I'm not even close to as good as him as as a strategist. But for Kill to say that, I think you know, just kind of underscores what a lot of us have been saying is that that is really the missing piece here because I think the passing game gets better if they do it. Well, and I just think even just having that on tape now with King breaking that 54-yard run, yeah. mm-hmm. that's a threat. I mean, Duke's got to be recognizing when he's on the field – uh, will open things up for the passing game that struggled. Um, and like we said, I mean, if it's, that wasn't something anybody had to worry about the last three years, basically, four years, you know, three three plus. Um, they just didn't have the, you know, even if somebody broke a 50-yard run, it wasn't sort of the, they didn't have the explosiveness where King could do it, where, you know, everything had to break right for it to happen. He can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you watch, that play unfolded a lot like his high school highlights, where you just, it was just gone, you know, just in, in, um, in, a, in a flash of an eye. And, and that's kind of what, popped out it's like how good is this competition because he's literally doing against every game he's going 60 plus yards down the field and so right. you just worry like oh, but i mean i was told it's actually not bad it was just he was he, he had a very good senior year um so uh, yeah i think that's fair and i think fans are just like hoping he's the savior that that he can be the guy uh you know this team hasn't had a real running back what since david wilson yeah yeah i mean i, I would put mcmillan in there because he did rush for a thousand yards uh, but it wasn't uh, the kind of thousand yards that you would think like he, he was more like a workman type. Uh, workman he was, right back, and they yeah. gave him a lot of totes, and he, you know, he controlled the ball, and he was. He, I thought he was a good back. Uh, he was like some of those other backs, the Cedric Humeses and the and the Mike Emos and the you know the, the ones they had over the years that weren't uh, first round NFL talents necessarily, but they were effective running backs and. Um, so yeah, it's just we haven't really seen one of them under Fuente, and maybe we we are going to see one now. What about defensively? Defensively, I mean, I guess you know, can you contain can you contain the running threat that is Quentin Harris? I don't think he's like you said, he's not like Perkins type of runner, but he did have a hundred yards rushing in that game uh, two weeks ago. That's uh, that tells you something, and ver- that's been Virginia Tech's kryptonite. Uh, for many years is trying to stop those those mobile running quarterbacks because they just don't have you know you don't account for the that scrambling and that um, sort of off the cuff improvisation uh, defensively so can they figure that out can they stop him uh, other than that I mean you know like you said I I, I went on record two weeks ago thinking t- telling you that I think there's going to be a game where this defense gets really gashed. And for Tech's sake, I hope it isn't this week because they'll lose because their their offense is not in a place yet to really um, get to a, into a shootout. They're just they haven't shown that. Um, Harris is a positive. I mean, they don't have a lot of individual guys that they're facing coming up outside of Harris where you know somebody could do that. You know, and yeah, you just and and you the the whole they're well coached thing is just a, a throwaway line at every press conference, but. It is so true with Cutcliffe, man. Anytime you just listen to that guy talk, you're just like, man, this Duke is so lucky to have that guy as their coach. He's just – they're going to be better than their than the sum of their parts just because of him. That's going to be the way it is. And they're smart. I mean, Duke players are smart. You talk to them and you, you're like, oh, yeah, this is that's right. They're at Duke. And then there's a reason they got into Duke. They're smart. And so they're not going to make a ton of mistakes. Um, they're not going to beat themselves down here, I don't think. And so you're going to have to play a pretty clean game to get out of here with a win. And it will be um, something to watch for. You know, you weren't at the game, and fans were very displeased. 
not just on Twitter, uh, in, in, in the stadium, um, fans were not happy and uh, was not a very full stadium to begin with. And uh, after halftime, I mean, you could have had your pick of seats. Really? Um, you know, obviously an FCS opponent, first of two on the schedule, very weak schedule, Friday night game against Duke. What do you think the atmosphere is going to be like for this, this game? That is a great question, and I am. This very, is a pivotal game. I am very curious. It's a to pivotal see game. That. They'll have a Friday night, and you said I think high or, or I think uh, our high school part two checked that a lot of high schools in the area have moved their moved games to Thursday, yeah, uh, to you know make sure that's not a conflict. Um, I think it's important that they have a kind of a raucous atmosphere, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the fans are there right now. I'm going to say that it's they, not a sellout, obviously. Yeah, no, not a sellout. I'm going to say that they, they come out for this one. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say, uh, what did they announce for that game uh, the other day? The I don't even know. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, 52,000 is what they there announced. There was not 52,000. Okay. There. I'll say 55 at this game. Yeah. I'll say, you know, like the, a legitimate 55 as yeah, opposed to the. Yeah, I'll say you'll see some empty seats in the upper deck, but. Uh, if there, if you see a ton of aluminum up there, that's really troubling. If you're tech, that's, I mean, that's a, but it, it wouldn't be a total stunner either. I mean, it would be, uh, I think the spectrum of, of the possibilities is very wide. I don't know what the weather looks like for Friday night, but if it's good weather, um, you know, you would expect. Well, it just feels like game. beyond the importance of winning to stay alive and, you know, keep the ACC hopes and whatever and all that, the football reasons for winning. Um, it seems like they're at a kind of a pivotal point with the fan base is that it's, you know, yes, I think it's amplified on social media. And, yes, if you are looking at sort of uh, message boards with dedicated fans, there's obviously more upset. But when you see fans not showing up or fans leaving early, those are more casual sort of, you know, people that aren't necessarily tweeting all the time. And you start to lose them, you're in trouble. And it just feels like we're a loss or two away here in Blacksburg from that sort of happening. Um, it's just, it, 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 I'm not putting it all on this game. You know, right. I don't think, you know, everything's not saved if they win. And everything's not over. You know, Fuente's right. not packing his bags if they lose. But at the same time, um, it's just so much negativity and the players are fighting back against it and putting on a brave face. And, and, I, and I think that the attitude so far of the people we've talked to is better than it was a year ago. Um, um, but I don't know. It just feels sort of like you're on that tipping point. Well, we saw a lot of people leave the ODU game early as well. And I'll preface this by saying I don't blame anybody that doesn't want to, that would rather do something else with their time than, than watch that. But I, I can say I don't remember it happening very many times, you know, in the, in previous years. You know, it seemed like if you decided to go to the game, you stayed. And especially if the game was in doubt, you know, and you, or if you're trailing and you feel like your team needs you um, to come back against a bad team, you know, like you didn't leave. But that, I think that speaks to what you're talking about. This sort of you're 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 in danger of turning the passionate people into apathetic people. And, and that then is your the casual way. fans into sort of just tuning out and just going tuning to find out. out. Yeah. yeah. And that's where, you know, I, I think. I mean, you sense the frustration from the dedicated fans mm -hmm. and fr fans that are dedicated to a team that has a high level of expectations are always going to be frustrated when there's losses or when there's sure. struggles. But now I think wh when you, wh you risk those casual fans and that's sort of when things can get bad and ugly because, um, you know, in, in you can, I think you could easily turn around here in the next month by getting a couple ACC wins because they've not played well in the ACC at home. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other problem is they haven't played well at Lane Stadium Going back to his first season? Yeah, it's been bad. I mean, is that fair? I mean, well, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I mean, last I mean, year they were terrible. Yeah, know. last year they were terrible, and it, it just isn't the fortress that it once was. And it wasn't the – under the last few years of Frank, it had eroded as a fortress as well. I mean, it, there was a time when people did not want to come to Lane Stadium. I mean, the crowd still brings it when they're when they're packed in there, and it's still loud, but the, the, the team's performance is not matched. Um, and that's, the, the I think, level. adding up now is where yeah. you see that, you know, fans come, you know, and that's probably the problem when you make your, <laughs> you know, Virginia Tech has made Lane Stadium like their focal point of their, this is the most electric atmosphere in college football. When you do that, you better match it. And lately their performance hasn't, and now you're starting to sort of slide, you know, uh, and I think they expected a dip in attendance numbers just because the schedule is not very good. But um, 
that's got to be you know the I think a larger, bigger picture thing kind of going on in the background. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's something we'll definitely be keeping an eye on. Uh, you want to get to our pick three, then our do our prediction. Sure, we okay. can do that. Pick three first. Um, well, we got on a, a bye week, miserable bye week for me. We had a trip to the emergency room with our youngest. He's okay, um, but it was just very miserable. But I did get to watch some football over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, not overly impressed, <laughs> echoing some of the things that uh, the coaching staff said. You know, you're you follow along on Twitter, and that's one thing to see the scores. But when you kind of watch it, you just see. And I think to Coach Foster's point, where he's like, "There's the halves, and it's basically like three teams, mm-hmm. and then the rest of us, and we're all just kind of fighting for scraps." And mm-hmm. it's like. Um, I think fans that sort of can show you, get you healthy perspective. You watch some of those games and spend some time watching college football is not pretty out there. Um, it just a lot of bad football being played. And, and, um, you know, when you shorten the off seasons and shorten the practice times and you're, and I think you're seeing some of that, um, but just a lot of mistake filled, ugly football. Yeah. Well, I spent some of, I, I mean, I went to Virginia uh, for the ODU game, but I also had some free time on Sunday. I spent some time. I gave Eastbound and Down another shot because my first time I was like, eh, well, maybe I just, you know, I should love this show. I'm a form, I'm a washed-up pitcher. You know, I love baseball. I like Danny McBride. Uh, why, is, why am I not connecting with this show? Maybe I just came in with too high expectations. So I went back and started watching it again, and I like it a little more. But I was talking with uh, Andy, and he said basically that Danny McBride should not be a main character, and he's right. And I think he hit on it because um, it's just too much. It's, well, it's sometimes too- those kind of characters are better in smaller doses, and when you make them the focal point, it can be a drag. It's the reason Seinfeld was not called Kramer, you know? I mean, because that guy is a wonderful character on the periphery, right. but if you center the whole show around him— He's just not relatable in any way. You have to have somewhat normal person that people can relate to that makes the wackiness work. And for some reason, it's just not. It's, I mean, I'm still trying to get through it, but it's just not working for me the way it should. So still no go. I mean, I'm going to fight through season two, episode 13. So, I mean, I've gotten a, I've gotten a long way in there. And, and the reason this rekindled my interest was I was watching the um, Righteous Gemstones. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, McBride's funny. I forgot about that. You know, so let's go watch East Pound Down again. But mm, I don't know. It's just he's, he's not cut out for that role. Um, I've been watching uh, it's the fifth season airing in, in, in UK. And I've been watching it. Uh, it's a show called Peaky Blinders. Have you ever heard of it? It's on Netflix. No. Netflix airs it in the U.S. So it airs first in the UK, and then the Netflix debuts the entire season a month later, a couple weeks later. So it'll be the fifth season will be out on Netflix in two weeks or a week. Um, I've recommended this show for a long time to people. Uh, I had a friend text that I recommended it like years ago, like in the after the second season, and he now finally gave it a real shot and can't get can't stop watching it. Really? It's only six episode seasons. It takes place uh, after World War One in uh, Birmingham, England. Uh, about this gang called the Peaky Blinders. They had razor blades in their hats. Um, uh, very uh, in a very caustic soundtrack, like heavy metal, very like contemporary heavy metal soundtrack. To these, and it's very um, caustic's a good word. Yeah, I it's got a it's got a very specific kind of flavor and taste. Like I, it's not for everybody, um, but if you kind of get through it, it's got Cillian Murphy. I don't know if you know who he is. He's been on Christopher yeah. Nolan's movie, The uh-huh. Scarecrow, and Christopher yeah. Nolan. Um, he's the lead character. Uh, fantastic. Um, Tom Hardy eventually shows up as a guest star, um, and he's just one of the best roles he's ever. It's just very strange, um, a Jewish mobster. Uh, he speaks Yiddish and things like that. Very fun role. Um, I'd recommend that, especially with the fifth season coming out. You'll probably everybody on their Netflix queues will see new episodes added. Go from go back to the start and give it a try. Okay. Well, I have not railed on instant replay nearly enough during the pick threes, so. Uh, yeah, I wanted to point out there was a really good article in The Athletic by Oliver Kay who covers uh, the English Premier League for The Athletic. And I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself for not making this connection earlier, but he, can, he compared Instant Replay to the problems you see on Black Mirror. Uh, which is one of my favorite shows, you know, just that that whole series about the, the, the potential pitfalls of technology or the way humans use technology or overuse it. Um, and, you know, he, he basically said it's taking the soul out of soccer. And I totally agree. I mean, I still watch it. Uh, I still watch baseball with it. I still watch football with it. Um, but 
it, yeah, it's still, it, you know, the more we use it, the more we use it, the more. I mean, I was watching some NFL football yesterday, and good Lord, now that they're doing the P.I., uh, and it's like you know, coaches don't even know where to throw the flag on that. Uh, it's just, uh, it's like just let it go, man. But I, I, that's what people want. People want it perfect, and people want it right. And I think perfect is imperfect, and not because I want flaws, but because I want the game to go on. I want the game to keep moving. I want when I see a touchdown, that's actually a touchdown. I, I, I saw a touchdown. Did you see the play that didn't get reviewed though, with Old Miss and and Cal on the on the goal line? See, you're gonna give me an anecdotal. Here's why they did review it, but it's like, but, how do, but if they, but I don't understand what, it's just it doesn't work because it doesn't. There's still failures of the system, like that should have yeah. been replayed, and then it's not, and then everything else is replayed. Right. I mean, and, and like there's holding calls that are not holding calls, and it, it's like that. Okay, you're just gonna let that go, but you're not gonna let this go. It, there, you know, there were like two or three goals scored in the English Premier League this past weekend, where the crowd's going crazy, and you're like, "Wow, that what a strike!" You know, beautiful shot from outside the box. And are you doing <laughs> the announcing in your home when you're doing and they, it? Well, and then all of a sudden, the, the stupid ref gets up there and does his little square thing, with, which is my least favorite hand signal of all uh, referee hand signals. Uh, basically, it just want, makes me want to die whenever I see it. And then they go review it, and they find that some some guy's foot was like one inch offside in the buildup to the goal. So five kicks before the goal, uh, somebody was you know a tish offside. Tish. That is not a scooch. That is not sports. Man, that's not the 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 difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law is very important. And replay knows no difference. And so it, it's it, I think it damages the sport. Okay, your third one. <laughs> You don't want to go off on on instant replay to <laughs> twenty more the, minutes. You know, it just uh, I don't know Sticks how many people, I don't know how many people agree me that I don't think I think there's still seventy five that don't agree with me on this, and that's fine. But um, I think there's it's start my my side's starting to grow a bit. I think there's people that are starting to see what we see what we've wrought here, and and understand that we're heading to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna do. Uh, the baseball, I just saw, uh, I, I don't get to follow as much as I used to. I was a lifelong uh, White Sox fan. I was raised right. And I did get to kick out of this, that the Cubs have lost five one-run games in a row. Wow. And one was a four-game home series. And it took their chances of making the playoffs. The Cardinals, no less. It took their chances of making the playoffs from 77% to 2.4%. Yeah. And uh, I guess it was the first time, second time done in like, Last 10 years that that happened, and for the first time in franchise history since, like, 1915. So kudos to them on failing lovely uh, in a lovely manner. Um, sounds like they're going to fire their manager, too, after that as well, um, which has kind of been brewing since the last year. Um, but uh, always good to see the Cubs failing in new and spectacular ways because that's what it used to be like. And then they won the World Series, and the White Sox rebuild, you know, are rebuilding. Um but yeah, it's nice to see. I, I'll be very interested to see where Joe Madden ends up because I mean, obviously he he'll be a hot speaking commodity. tour. Probably Padres, maybe. I mean, Padres just That's got rid of their one. guy, so uh, Andy Green. But as an Oriole fan, I can't throw any kind of uh, slings and arrows anybody's way right now, you know. And we have our manager. Uh, I have no idea how good of a manager he is because the the talent level is yeah. So, how do you so put that bad. on him? I mean, yeah. He's he's done a nice job not punching anybody, although he almost punched Chris Davis. So. Uh, I guess he came close. He done not a great job. Of almost <laughs> he came close. He came close to. But what do you want to punch Chris Davis with the way he's played? Right. He hit a game-winning home run in the, the final home game of the season yesterday. Was that his first hit of the season? <laughs> okay, that was unnecessary. How much is left on his contract, by the way? Uh, I think three. Uh, either two or three years. And it's a lot. A lot of money. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. Ugly. Of money. So your third pick three. Uh, I tweeted this out. I don't know. Do you eat beef jerky? I do not. You do not eat beef jerky. Okay. I eat beef jerky. I like beef jerky. I think it is. A, you did tweet this out, and I agree. I think it is a private habit to have. I, it really is. And, uh, I, yeah, so my tweet essentially said that, uh, you know, I, I eat beef jerky. I love beef, jer beef jerky, but I've never seen another human being eat beef jerky. Right. And I go into Sheets, and I see rows and rows of beef jerky, and I'm like, somebody's buying all this beef jerky because they would not have it here if it wasn't if it was just me. Um, and I said, people must just go back to their caves like, you know, like our ancestors intended. I got a good reply. Somebody said it's car meat. It's a car meat. It is a car meat. But and also interesting is you think like, well, maybe somebody's got to be buying this because, you know, I can't. But if you go to a gas station, see all those spinners and those crazy toys yeah. and the ugliest things you've ever seen, like 
Nobody buys that. I've been going to the gas station here in the corner. I'm not going to say where because we're in an undisclosed location. But <laughs> the, the, the Shell station has had the same racks of garbage every time I've gone on there. Not a single thing has been disturbed. So maybe you are the only person eating. Well, beef, I guess the jerky. expiration date is far off on most of that right. beef. So you just got to keep working through. Go to the same <laughs> gas station and see if they ever fill Oh, Aaron will be back. <laughs> Aaron will be back. We just leave it out. Um, before we get to predictions, you asked how uh, your boy Pimpleton did against uh, Miami, and he had 11 catches for 73 yards. Well, he was the team's player of the week the previous year. I retweeted that. Week, week, and he had a he had threw a t- he threw a pass, threw his first pass. Uh, not <laughs> did I say player of the year? Yeah, player of the That's year. That's what I want. He's already to be. the player of the year in your heart. <laughs> he is. He has. This is. He is tied for ninth in uh, FBS in receptions with 29. Yeah, he's great. He's great. I love him. So there's your. Uh, there's but your but I'm ready for Keyshawn to be the new guy. I'm ready to have somebody local. Pockets. We can we can applaud every week. We don't have to do a segment. I'll just do it anyway. I'm gonna just talk about Pocket Kings, whenever he uh, takes the pot, so to speak. Whenever he just well, that's probably a bad choice of words. <laughs> whenever he drags the chips, he does his, that. We'll be talking about him in a different drags, manner. Drags yeah, the chips to his stack. Uh, let's <laughs> As see. He does the, the pot. <laughs> All right. Um, Predictions. Yeah, Virginia Tech opened as a seven-point favorite. That was quickly bet down, <laughs> smashed down to two, two and a half. Um, Is that as quick as that moves? <laughs> That's pretty quick. I mean, without like the quarterback like dying or something like that, uh, that is about as fast. With no as injury see a news. Smash. Being yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was a precipitous drop. Four four and a half points like right off the bat. Just yeah. somebody must have done just like a all massive. All the Cutcliffe love and sharps were just like just laying there in wait. How lying could you do wait. that to Cutcliffe? <laughs> you guys see Daniel Jones <laughs> playing the Giants? Uh, all right, which way are you going? Uh, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna you know. Uh, I'm gonna home game. Coming both coming off the bye week. I'm gonna give Tech the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna say 28-21. Tech wins. Mm-hmm. But this is the last time that they get the benefit of the doubt with a home opponent. Uh, that's the, that's sort of the the, the equal. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you look at um, uh, ESPN's FBI index, like all these games. You know, this one, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. Um, I think their favorite Georgia Tech, but all of them are like 50-50 toss-ups, and, and Virginia Tech's like a little less, like forty-six percent chance to win. Um, and I think it's sort of the opposite. I think there should be ahead in most of these. Um, but so I'm going to give them a benefit of doubt here, but they lose this one a couple weeks against North Carolina, you know, different story. Well, I'm leading the Phyllis forecasters and, uh, to show you how worthless that is, I'm three, and zero in picking Virginia tech's results. Correct. And I'm one and two in picking their spread. I said they were going to lose to Boston college. Then I said they were going to get smashed. They were going to smash ODU and then they didn't smash ODU. And I said, well, now they're going to smash Furman. They'll cover the 23. What did I say? 51 to 7. <laughs> I mean, come on, Aaron. Uh, fool me twice. Shame on me. Uh, I will not be a fool the third time. Prove me wrong, Hokies. I'm going to go Duke uh, 34, Virginia Tech 21. And uh, I'm not saying that's I what have, I want. I I'm saying that's what – I'm just tired of being – I'm tired of them showing not not covering the non-covering fools is what Nappy would say. I would just like to point out, I last year in the Fearless Forecasters, I was last by like a long ways down. Like I was the last face in the paper every single week. The, I am second place right now, and uh, I am behind me, behind you by one point. So, um, yeah, it was a rough week last week. It was. Uh, we're 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 neck and neck. We're only separated from last place by like six and five points. So well, that's because obviously there, not very. very there's much so many consensus picks. I mean, who was going to pick Furman last week? Nobody. That's why I've always said, if there's a spread on the game, let's pick it against the spread. Let's see who's really a good fearless forecaster. But so here's a bonus fearless forecaster. We should get you to do some picks each week now from now on. But we'll do this one. I'm going to put you on the spot. So Virginia, Notre Dame. Let's see what the line is. Do you know what the line is? I have not seen. All right, let's look what the line is. Okay. I'll fill a buster. A minus. Uh, Notre Dame is 11-point favorite. Uh, give me UVA. So you think they're going to cover? Against the, yeah, against the number. Sure. Uh, do you, what, what do you think the result is? Do you think they have a chance? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were not good against ODU. And, and you were at that game, right? Yeah, I was at that game. And, and you, ODU, you went to Florida State game, right? Uh, the, yes. 
the Virginia so you've seen them, yeah, yeah. You've I've seen, seen them twice. two weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were not impressive at all last week, and they were, they struggled against Florida State. Uh, but they're good. They're good. I believe in I believe in their talent level. I mean, their their defense is very good. Their defense was amazing in the second half the other night. Didn't allow anything when they really couldn't afford to allow anything. Um, Perkins, we know Perkins is great. They're fine. You know, they got a back who's not a uh, world beater, Tula, Tula Papa. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. I apologize uh, to him. But uh, he, he's he got – I think he was going into that ODU game, he was like second in the ACC in touchdowns or something like that. He's a, he's a goal line guy. He can get you that yard when you need it. So they've got pieces to go up there and, and play well. I mean, we were, we were writing when that Notre Dame-Georgia game was going on. Uh, I guess Notre Dame acquitted itself pretty well there on the road as a 16-point dog, only losing by seven or eight. Yeah. So uh, – Notre Dame's good. I mean, but I think this is a coming out party for Virginia. Like they'll do maybe what Notre Dame did last week and well, make this everyone. Could, this could take, put that. This could be like the statement when they need to kind of put themselves. Well, they on haven't the been four and zero since two thousand four, so that's a big deal. And you have a you know, have an ACC a coastal win in hand. You you have an Atlantic win in hand. Uh, you're two and zero in the ACC. Uh, so I mean, they're you know this is. And Berman texted me the other day. He's like, "Are you going to that Notre Dame game?" I'm like, "No, I'm going to Virginia Tech. This is a huge. I mean, this is a huge, huge game for Virginia Tech. I'm not leaving." It. He's like, "Well, that that Virginia game is the biggest game in the ACC." I'm like, "Is it? Is it? Because it's you, not an ACC again, game." Again, like the other week, you could do both if you just get in the car right after the game, <laughs> ten hours South Bend. Uh, you'd be there uh, and right in time. <laughs> <laughs> you right. should just do both. You're right, uh, and that's really the bottom line. It's uh, oh, it's not. It's at six forty-five, or no, three thirty. Oh, it's at three thirty. Okay, three thirty. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you'd have about uh, you'd have some time to eat some beef jerky on the ride there. Well, way to bring it full circle there, Mike. <laughs> All right, well, that should just about do it for this week. We will get together again next week, break down whatever happens against Duke, and also look ahead to the game at Miami. Right. Is that the uh, next? Yeah, game? and you're That's, you're going on like a sabbatical, I think. Greg. Well, I'll you're, be there all week. Yeah. I mean, well, you're not not the week leading up to Texas. Heavy game. reconnaissance for Virginia <laughs> on the Miami on, on South Beach. I'm gonna eat so much Miami subs. It's, it's <laughs> most people. You can give us. You could rate. That will be your next pick three after that. Your top three uh, uh, meals. Yeah, the, from Miami. You know, I I don't really. We might have to do a. I love Mexican food, but podcast food? with you on remote location in Miami. Oh, we can do that. Yeah, I can tell you how things are going down there <laughs> on the beach. But we're gonna have we'll have fun before you before then. You and I will have fun. Uh, a couple night, days the yeah, night before sure. the game. So, all right. Well, uh, enough of that talk. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll get back to business here on Friday night, and we'll come back and talk about it all the next week. For Mike Nizolik, this is Aaron McFarling. Thank you for joining us.